Hello, everybody. This is Bruce from Printavo Simple Shop Management Software. Today, with our Business Lessons and Learnings podcast, we got a very special guest joining us, Rick Roth, founder of Ink Kitchen. Been printing since 1977, right? That is correct. I started in 77 just doing some prints with a friend. Eventually, uh, got way deeply into it. So, um, Mirror Image. My company, The Prince, started in 1990 or 1989, and I've been doing the Ink Kitchen now for a few years as well. That's awesome. How did uh, how did the transformation from kind of hobby to full-time business work? Well, it's kind of interesting. So the very first shirts were just, you know, I think we did like a dozen or two with some friends, and then there was a building they were going to tear down on the campus. It was beautiful. It was called, uh, it was called old bio. It was, a um, to make room for the view from another building. They were going to tear this beautiful old stone building down. So we had a campaign, save old bio and we made t-shirts. Um, there were some art rooms in there. We made them in there and that's kind of the most shirts I had printed. And then I had an event every year with friends called the Nantucket Spaghetti Festival, and we would print the shirts right on the site. Like people would bring shirts, we would print them, hang them up on clotheslines, and let them air dry. And a friend that went to that was doing postcards, and he was like, you know, I would like to put my postcard images on shirts. Could you do it? And so I started doing his postcards. They were kind of funny ones. So it would be like a picture of uh, Fred Flintstone and Ginger Rogers instead of Fred Astaire and Ginger, and it would be Steve and Edie, but instead of Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, it would be Steve Lawrence and Edie Amin, and Ike and Tina, it was Eisenhower and Tina Turner. So we, I printed those, but I mean really primitively. I'm, I'm, I didn't even have a press. I had a 150-watt bulb and a pie plate to expose the screens. Very, very primitive. Just by eye, would pr- put the shirt down and put the screen on and hang them up on a clothesline and let them air dry and i printed thousands of shirts that way like really primitively really when did you when did you say rick where you're like okay maybe maybe i should get some actual equipment here or was it just volume you needed some to upgrade well the volume got pretty high and then um i had worked at a youth program that had a screen printing component for kids and so i had them do the shirts, but they really couldn't handle it. So then I started renting their equipment. It was really bad equipment, but it was better than doing it by eye. Uh-huh. And actually, we made a very primitive automatic press even in that space. And then eventually, the youth program, for a variety of reasons, went out of business, and they sold me their quote-unquote business. Oh, there <laughs> and then you go. I got about it. What kind of what kind of was it? Like a four by four, like a small manual press? It was a small manual press and what's called a fill bar that's made for doing paper printing, but we converted it to print one color T-shirt designs because we were doing these giant all-over prints. I kind of can't believe we pulled it off. We were doing white ink on black shirts, like a huge image with one pass. Wow! And and they showed up pretty good. No, it was pretty good. I I don't I can't believe we did it. Now now I'd be like, how the heck did we? pull that off because it's hard enough to do it with two codes. Right. Um, and then, so what happened was kind of went on our merry way doing simple stuff and then had a request to do a photograph. And I had met a guy at another shop 
Colin Cheer, and he and I just got really into like how we could do black and white photos with multiple screens. At the time, pretty much the only way to do it was a uh, just a one half tone image, and we did like four screens. But we didn't do that was pre computer. It was stack camera and what's called a uh, vacuum uh, vacuum frame or contact frame, excuse me. And we would make these reversals of the images, et cetera, all in the dark room. And we did a photograph by a photographer named Lucette Modell was the first one. And then the second one was a famous photo of Robert Duano. Mm-hmm. He's a French photographer. He was alive at the time and he had to approve it. Uh-huh. And we were fanatical. We separated it and printed it about 20 times before we got it right. I mean, at that time to do all that film and all those screens, that was like insane. And we got it so that he, we sent it to France and he accepted it. And from there we started doing all kinds of museum work. And then from the museum work, eventually we got into fashion work and my friends, Mike Beckman and Casey Ruby were doing a lot of stuff with specialty inks and we kind of took our halftone work along with their work with the inks and started doing like super realistic tape and leather and all kinds of things for the fashion industry. That's awesome. That's actually really cool. How did you, how did you navigate the sales through those different industries? I mean, you talked about getting into museums to fashion. It seems like those are very two different spots. Was it someone that connected you in there or what? You know, we just, always had well we're really into it and we were probably as good as anyone at some of this stuff so in some ways people would find us um and then we had we've had a couple of good customers for a long time one was an art publish publishing house um you know it's pretty specialized what we did so either i would go to the couple of people i knew that would want what we did or they would find us gotcha. i mean the same technique so if you can do a perfect Mona Lisa, you can do a perfect beer bottle. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and then now today, you know, mirror image, that's an interesting business model. It's different than, than most print shops that I've seen out there. Explain how that works. So we have sort of a consortium now. We call it monkey fish printing. And we go to, you know, the PPAI or ASI shows to look for contract work. And basically, four of us that are friends who all use the same equipment pretty much and do art the same way cooperate, and we can do shirts at Motion Textile in California, at Machine Solutions in South Carolina, at Mirror Image in Rhode Island, or at Linka in Krakow, Poland. Gotcha. So you guys, you guys will contract off goods and then get them printed by one of those shops? So basically, I usually get that work. I get all of Mirror Image's work. I get 95% plus of Machine Solutions and maybe 20% Motion and just a small bit in Poland. And, you know, I'll handle the art and the customer relations, and then the printing will get done at the facilities. Sometimes I buy the shirts. A lot of times the the shop that's doing the uh, actual Printing will also buy the shirts, or a lot of times we're doing contract work, so they're supplied by the um, ASI company. 
Gotcha. So essentially like brokering between the, the kind of customers or, or clients and the print shop. It's a little different, actually. And then it allows us also, like we've done extremely large jobs in a hurry and saved the customers a lot of shipping. You know, when you're doing hundreds of thousands of shirts and you're sending them to 600 locations in the United States, it's a real advantage to be able to do it in three places. Interesting. Now, with those shops that that do the actual printing, um, you know, you'll negotiate with the prices with them and so on? Actually, we all have agreements ahead of time, and so I will give the price to the customer, and then, you know, I'll get a percentage. You gotcha. know, perhaps done it that cool. we run all the time. But it allows us to, you know, do more work. You know, each of us has also a little bit of a specialty here or there, so might do some particularly very esoteric, difficult thing, you know, um, at one shop over another. Um, but pretty much we print all, all can print the same way. Got it. Makes sense. Now, um, you talked about that order. I'm actually curious about that. So uh, you said a few hundred thousand shirts, you know, shipped to 600 plus locations all over. How did that work? Um, how did the logistics of all that uh, go? You know, really, I think all the companies are very good with logistics. So that helped. And we're working with a partnering ASI company that really has their act together. So it went pretty smoothly. We've done it for a few years. Um, I can't how, how, did, uh, how did a massive job like that come through? Um, well, I don't think there's a lot of people that can pull that off, you know. The, um, you know, I think there's there used to be like 21,000 ASI companies, you know, supply uh, distributors. Uh-huh. And I think only 1,000 are of any particular size. So you're already narrowed down to, you know, 5 to 20 per state, maybe more in California or New York or something. But, you know, it's not that many people you can pull that off financially even. Interesting. So, you know, but still, I mean, with that, obviously, pennies matter. Was it you won the bid because of the lowest or did you win it because you were friends with them or how, how did you spin it? Um, that particular company, we do all of their printing or, you know, 90% of it. And so, you know, we work together to get them a price so they get the job and that we can make money. And, you know, you can't screw a job like that up. Right. <laughs> you know, you start printing misprints or sending them to the wrong location. You, you, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake. You can't just have anybody do that. Did uh, was there any like times that throughout that whole process where you're like oh holy crap you know this is this isn't going as planned or, or this uh, situation isn't going too well? Um, I think there's always adjustments. I mean, I was talking about that with somebody the other day. Pretty much any really good customer I've had, someone that works for me has said we can't do this work. Uh, and that's usually what I've chosen, you know, because it's difficult or there's some aspect of it that went wrong somewhere else. And so they're trying you. And then lo and behold, you know, whoever it is that you think, you know, you could never do their work. Suddenly it's the bread and butter and you crank it out like easily. Gotcha. You know, the first time you print the Mona Lisa is a lot harder than the 10th time you print the Mona Lisa. Sure. Gotcha. So really just being a niche and kind of known for your, your niche, it seems like helped grow and establish yourself in these, these industries. 
Yeah, I think also we're like rapidly responsible, you know, and trustworthy. And I hate to say it, but our industry is not really known for its ethics. A lot of cutthroat people or dishonest people. You know, we've printed hot market shirts because, you know, in New York and Boston, a lot of championships. And, you know, I'd rather, you know, I'll shoot somebody that tried to sell a bootleg shirt out of my shop. You know what I mean? We don't people can trust us and I'm always looking out for them. And I think that counts for a lot. And I, we, you know, if you want something on Wednesday and I can't do it till Thursday, I'm not going to tell you Wednesday. I'm going to tell you Thursday. And then we're going to stay up all night if we have to, to get it done Thursday. It's if we tell you, we'll get it done. We'll get it done. And, you know, I've done gone to extraordinary lengths to get, people their work and i think they appreciate it um do you have, do you have uh, a story of that one i have a very good story of that actually so what happened was at the time anvil knitwear was having us do a lot of their special projects they sent us some shirts well they neglected to tell us when they were due and it was a very short window so they called at 11 o'clock and said did you send the shirts yet today we need them today i was like we didn't even print them yet you didn't tell us and, you know, honestly, later I looked at the email exchange and discussed with them. It was their fault. But, but, you know, at that time, I didn't even waste a second to see whose fault it was. I just tried to see how we could get it done. So I have a friend that does a lot of stuff for the rock and roll industry. He has a Delta Dash, or it used to be called that, account where you can actually put things on a plane and someone picks them up on the other end. But I looked at the plane schedules and the nearest airport we couldn't get to the event in time. So then I had done some consulting with a company in Grand Rapids. I called them. Can you do this? Yeah, we can do it for you. They called back a half hour later. I'm sorry, we can't do it for you. <laughs> so How many shirts was it? It was like 150 shirts, but they had – it was essential to the event because they had a giant QR code on it participate have these shirts on and shoot the qr codes into their phones Mm -hmm. so it was like gonna be a disaster if they didn't have the shirts so one of the guys in the art department that i talked to he said i know this guy in town i'll make an introduction i call the guy you know the fraternity of screen printers is pretty good sometimes you know everyone can relate to having been in a pickle i also paid the guy well i pay this guy he went and picked up the shirts that we could replace these printed them and drove them to the event in time for the event wow that's awesome that's the kind of effort you know that people don't forget i think the other reason that i have a lot of loyal customers is when something goes wrong like that in a way that went wrong on their end but even on my end if you resolve it to people's satisfaction that goes a long way and some of my most loyal customers are where something went wrong and then we resolved it well um I, I, I don't think people give enough credit to that, to problem resolution as a way of customer retention. Right, right. They might just think that it's lost. It's a lost cause. You know, maybe not spend as much time on it. Yeah. Um, no, and you face, you, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Actually, the so the shop in South Carolina, she's passed away, but my friend's mom, she used to say, Rick, 
show me somebody that don't make no mistakes. I'll show you somebody that ain't doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone has mistakes. It's what you do about the mistakes. Um, You know, difficult printing techniques. They don't work out great at first. You, you know, reassess what happened and move forward. And lo and behold, after a while, you're doing a great job or you're pulling off something nobody else can pull off. But it takes a constant evaluation of where you are and what could be better. Right. Gotcha. That's a, that's a, I mean, I think that's a great way of thinking about it. We constantly tell and hammer on shops to be iterative and be able to look back and say, okay, this went great this month, this didn't go great this quarter. How are we going to iterate and make it better for next quarter? Um, and, and working with their staff on that. You, you talk about uh, consulting a bit. So I know, you know, in-kitchen consulting, obviously they're hand-in-hand as far as because you, you release a lot of really great content on the Ink Kitchen, and for those who are listening, just Google the Ink Kitchen, and their website will come up. Um, with consulting, where did that start? Uh, you know, was it uh, just starting to help a few friends out with a shop, or um, did you actively say, "Okay, I want to start consulting with shops"? How, how did that go? Actually, I can credit Richard Greaves with connecting me with. Linka in Poland who wanted to print better at the time they couldn't print even like one black shirt um their printing was pretty miserable and they wanted to improve the quality and he had got them started but he really didn't have time to take them further and so we made a deal like a five-year deal and lo and behold within like nine months they were printing to our quality when they 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 couldn't and it was some very basic things but, you know, a lot of times when I do consulting, it's something basic. And I always tell people, you know, I might find something really simple that's a matter. And you'll be like, I could have thought of that. Well, then think of it now. <laughs> because once you hire me, I'm going to pick the simplest things, not the most complicated. I'm not trying to impress you that I'm smart. I'm trying to get you to print better. And the simpler the things we can change, the better. So that, that link of connection was for about five years. And then... Other people heard I did that, and we would work with various people. Some of it's been pretty fun. We got to go to Aruba a few times. There's a shop there. Um, usually, either I got to like the people, or you know, it's just a good fit. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I like very much enjoy doing it, and I feel like by having active shops that I'm involved in, that I actually know what I'm talking about. I'm not either stealing information from my prior clients or, um, you know, my information is not out of date. So I think I really help people a lot and I find it very interesting to solve problems. Gotcha. Very cool. What, what would you say is the most common problem that you come across? Okay. Well, the most common problems that I've been hearing about lately, one is, uh, dye migration. A lot of people don't know how to deal with that. And so with all the variety of fabrics that are out there now, mm-hmm. which all these wonderful garments aren't always the most wonderful to print, they can be difficult. And in the old days, 50-50 shirt, you use 50-50 white ink, and cotton, you use cotton white, and that was it. And if you were really afraid, you used the 50-50 white on cotton too. And uh, that doesn't work anymore. There are cotton shirts that bleed. There are, you know... 50-50 or 65% polyester shirts that don't bleed no matter what ink you print on them. So that's a very common problem that people come to me with. A problem they should come to me with that they don't is ink curing. 
uh, I just wrote an article for Printware that's coming out, I think, in a couple months. Some of my friends that go in a lot of shops, they think that over 50% of the shops have jobs any particular week that the ink is not curing. People turn the belt speed up too high or a variety of things. And everybody always wants one answer. There's not one answer to that. One shop could be 110 degrees and dry, and one could be 35 degrees Fahrenheit and damp out. And you can't set your dryer at the same thing for both places. And maybe one's printing thin ink, one's printing thick ink. There's all these variables, and you really have to find your way through it. And a lot of people don't want to hear that, or they don't want to get into the complications of it. And as a result, you know, you print, and the ink might be dry to the touch, but it's going to wash off later. Right. Gotcha. And how do you, uh, you know, what's an important thing for, for a shop to think about when they're maybe considering or even not considering ink curing just yet? Is it more of an issue that you see with larger shops just trying to, that have massive volume or is this happen with smaller businesses too? No, smaller, no, smaller shops are more of a problem um, because they often have small dryers, which are harder to get if you have a really long tunnel and it's gas and good airflow, you probably can cure anything at a relatively low temperature. If you have a short electric dryer, the window of what scorches and what cures it is very small and it's, it's more difficult. And it's solved in one way. Get a washing machine. <laughs> you know, you just have to, like, measure your variables and wash shirts and make sure that it's cured. Gotcha. Um, is there one uh, sort of tip? So you're talking about having a washer and, and I'm assuming for testing it, or is there like one tip for someone to say, okay, this is how, you know, what you need to look at? Um, in general, you want the longer you can at the lower temperature rather than turn the temperature up and it be a short time in there. And that's not very pr- production oriented advice, but you know what? You can't, if a cake has to, cook for 60 minutes to cook all the way through you can't just cook it on 550 degrees for 10 minutes right it's the same it has to go all the way through um and then i think the other thing that people ask about and are having trouble with is printing soft prints on soft shirts or soft prints in general Mm -hmm. that is not as easy an answer as curing that is a whole host of things that have to go right for you to print soft prints. It's it's not easy. You have to have good screen tension. You have to have the right squeegee. You have to use the right inks. You have to use the right printing techniques. And all that has to go together to make a nice level amount of ink. I mean, I think the only things that would be consistent for soft printing, no matter what you're doing, is you have to have flat palettes that are all parallel. Because mm-hmm. if not, you cannot do a light amount of ink without it missing some spots. And I would say also it's counterintuitive, but more coats of ink, you actually can get less ink down. So in other words, if you try to cover, do some type on a black shirt with one coat of white ink, it's going to be thicker than if you do three coats of white ink to get that lettering. Gotcha. Interesting. Now, is a lot of the consulting that you do focused on helping them on the production side, or is there also, you know, sales and management side too that you work with? Uh, I don't usually get into that too much. That's not forte. I would say mine is print quality, print speed, um, 
like print ability and art ability so that to be able to pull off certain types of jobs that you can't do now or print a certain thing like learn how to print discharge ink or something um i think those are more the type of thing that we get into got it now being around and and, and even just dabbling you know from 77 till now i mean you've seen a, a swath of, of different experiences and i'm sure the printing industry changed too um where do you think just overall production wise maybe even since that's your specialty where do you where do you see production quality and and what people are doing where, where's that going well it's interesting the really difficult stuff used to be short runs I think most of the short round printing will be taken over by DTG printing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting, but DTG printing, people want to sell it as push button, but it isn't. And I think that people that are screen printers that get into DTG printing are going to do a better job of it. We've only played around with it, you know, a little bit compared to how much we work we put into screen printing. And we get a lot superior results to other people. How you lay the under print down how you if you will color separate it for the machine really makes a difference and you can get a lot better results than i'm seeing out there so that's one thing that's different i'd also say on on the whole printing is better you know our best printing used to be head and shoulders above almost everyone's and now it's not it's a little bit better than most people Although there's really low barriers to entry. And just like I started in my basement, other people can start in their basement. And some of that printing is atrocious and some of it's very creative. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, within what you do, even if your methods are simple, do some great looking shirts. I mean, some of my favorite shirts are one color. You know, you don't need 16 colors to make a good shirt. In fact, sometimes I think the more you use, the worse artist you are for T-shirts. Gotcha. Yeah. Simple better. If you For can sure. do the with less colors, you should. Sure. Um, with the lower barriers to entry, and I, I think we see this a lot too, is, you know, uh, mom and pop type shops, one guy, two guy type situations or girls. Um, as they come into play and is that something that some of the more middle or larger shops should be worried about to fend off and start handling a lot more of the smaller type jobs or like where, where do you think okay. those guys fit in? I mean, I'm never worried about that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm usually, I mean, I started like that, so I, I relate to it and I like to help people like that. I don't generally charge them or anything. I'll just help them. And if they listen, they'll get better. Usually, Without the resources, they're not going to get that big. Most people don't advance that far. And they can't pull certain things off. I mean, I know hand printers. If they get a job for a thousand shirts, you can't print a full color shirt um, with, you know, on black shirts and do it efficiently. It's crazy. I mean, I see people trying to do it. I don't know why they do. The smart ones, who are the ones you might, might worry about, are going to send that job to you. So you help them with something, and they're going to do, print their two dozen jobs. And when they get a thousand, they're going to send it to you and farm it out to you. Yeah. So I, I don't worry about that at all. Gotcha. Never. 
what's well, uh, what's another thing? So you talked about dye migration, ink curing. Um, what's something else that you see that's pretty common with shops and when they're reaching a certain scale? Um, well, I think a lot of people probably should jump into automatic running that are afraid to. I mean, it's a big financial responsibility. The only thing I'll say is there's no... There's not any. I did a lot of hammer printing, but there's no honor in it, if you will, or no beauty in it. I mean, it gives people carpal tunnel syndrome a lot of times, and you're trying to print like a machine. You know, some processes in this world, if you do it by hand, it's better. I think screen printing is better done by machines. So people need to take the plunge a little earlier, I think, sometimes. Mm hmm. And when do you when do you see that as like okay making that jump from the manual to the auto like what is the trigger? Well, a lot of people wait until they have a ton of work. Unfortunately, there's a lot of paranoia. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. The ideal thing would be to sub it out honestly and say, for instance, "Hey Rick, you're going to print these shirts, and when I get enough of this kind of work, I'm going to get my own automatic." Then I know it. That's fair, and I get the work until then. Fine, but they're always worried that you, you know someone's going to steal their jobs or whatever. And if you have only small jobs and you don't have a lot of work, and then you buy an automatic, just because you have an automatic doesn't mean you're going to fill it with work right away. Right. So I think th there's not enough people to do subcontracting. You just got to find people you can trust. Gotcha. So you think there's actually a solid advantage to just continue to subcontract out the work and focus on the sales end and the graphics end and managing that relationship? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people that do stupid stuff. I mean, if you don't, if you do one, I mean, I have some people, they print like one process job a year, one full color job. They send it to us. Why would you want to figure out how to do process printing for the one job? Yet I see it all the time. People will tear their hair out trying to do their own color separations, try to print it, and it comes out terrible. And, like, they could have subbed it out, had it done perfectly, and on to the next job makes some money. And I don't understand why people do that. I mean, hey, I could figure out flock, but I don't, I don't want to buy flock machines, and I don't want to do it. You can buy a hand flock machine cheaply. Do I want to sit there with a hand flock machine and do the job? No, I'll, sh I'll send it to somebody that does flock all the time. You know, it's it, for some reason people want to figure everything out. It tends to be a lot of tinkerers, I say, in screen mm -hmm. printing, mm -hmm. and, and they're not business people. Mm -hmm. Business decision would be to sub it out. The tinkerer is, I can figure it out. I can figure everything out. Sure, gotcha. Yeah, no, that, I think that definitely makes sense in in realizing what are your core your 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 uh, your core competencies, and then sub out everything else. Yeah, or even sub it out temporarily. And, you know, don't be a prick about it. <laughs> you know, don't sub out work and then suddenly, you know, the guy that you're subbing it to buys a new machine because he thinks he has it to work all the time. And then you go and buy a machine without telling him. Don't do that. But, you know, people with their eyes wide open are fine. I, I sub out DTG work. I work with somebody. He knows, you know, eventually I might get a machine but he knows i'll tell him periodically we discuss it it's he's glad to have the work yeah contractor politeness have you written an article like that 
I just wrote something about uh, for the Ink Kitchen about how to deal with your vendors. You know, in general, I think there's a lack of respect for your partners and vendors, and you know, with good relations to them, they're they're such an asset. They're going to pull you out in those jams. You know, if you beat up your ink, uh, shirt supplier about every damn order, you know, are they going to want to send out shirts 10 minutes after closing time? Are they going to want to wait when you get stuck in traffic for you to pick up the shirts? Are they going to uh, believe you when you say you have a hole in, you know, 24 shirts and it's not your fault? You know, it's a two-way street. And right. when you treat your vendors or your partners well, they will help you out. That's a really good point. You know, I was reading a, a great article, too, on, on people working with contractors, and they say you should, instead of treating them like a kind of an external um, part of the company, you should treat them just like an employee, so in a team member. Um, so the things that you do for the team member, like chatting with them and working with them, how do I make you know, your life easier doing the same thing with them? Um, and then you do get that benefit of those relationships where, okay, if you know it's closing time and they got to pump something out for you, they'll also reach out as well. I think that's a great uh, point. I'm glad you brought that up. Hey, even a simple thank you once in a while. That seems to me in short supply sometimes. Yeah. You know, just thank your suppliers, especially if they do something for you. You know, get them a present once in a while. You know, yeah. I have a guy that helped me out i was looking for a piece of equipment that's kind of rare you know they don't cost a lot but they aren't that many out he helped hook me up bought him a bottle of japanese whiskey you know it's uh you 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 know it wasn't the you know whatever it was 75 bucks for the whiskey it was that i made an effort to thank him you know right that, i think that's important you know that's awesome. I think that's a great idea. And and with that said, I want to thank you, Rick, especially for taking the time out. I know you're a busy guy. you got so many things in, in your hands and being able to talk to us about this and, and your experience and what you're doing. And, and so I really appreciate that um, and uh, the time, especially today. And, and uh, we, we'll definitely stay in touch. Well, I actually like screen printing, and I like talking about it, so thanks for giving me that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, everybody, this is Rick Roth, guys. You can reach him. Um, you can find their email over at the Ink Kitchen um, and, uh, or Mirror Image. And, uh, again, thank you again, and hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Bye.